You are listening to the Wellacopia podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Network. I'm Eva Minkoff, your host and fibromyalgia warrior. And on this show, I have super candid conversations with other chronic warriors and practitioners about the how-tos of living and thriving with chronic illness. I'm also the founder of Wellacopia.com, the matching site for healthcare relationships. We connect chronic illness wellness seekers with the integrative providers best suited to be their partners in care. To match with your dream doctor, therapist, nutritionist, acupuncturist, chiropractor, and more, visit wellacopia.com. Or you can simply text us at 646-883-3022. That's 646-883-3022. In today's episode, I chat with Raquel Halenga. Raquel is a life and business coach for entrepreneurs and creatives with chronic illness. Diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis as a child, she has had chronic illness for over 20 years. She has an undergraduate and master's degree in organizational communication and is a proud member of the LGBTQI community. Her practice involves working with people one-on-one to help them build sustainable businesses that work with their chronic illnesses, not against them. In this episode, she tells her story about learning to accept her chronic illness and how it helped her find her path in life. She discusses the importance of mindset and how you can learn to own your illness and work with it to build the life you want. Her message to fellow Spoonies is one of compassion and hope. Before we begin, just a reminder that all conversations and health claims on this podcast are based on individual experiences and expertise. Everyone has their own personal and professional truths and should be treated as such. All right, let's get started. My personal story and like my journey with having a chronic illness really folds into how I started my business. So um, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was about seven, seven or eight, and I'm 30 now, so it's been a long time. And I at the time was a competitive dancer when it happened and was quite young. And I remember the story is always like the story of me realizing something was wrong as a kid. We were in rehearsal and there was this thing where we had to kneel, but like kneel all the way down and like put our head on the ground. And, you know, we were competitive. So my dance teacher was kind of intense as you have to be (laughs) in that arena. Right. Tap dancing. I did all of it, but I tap was like my number one and then I still love to do it. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I remember I couldn't bend my knees all the way. Like I couldn't get down to the ground. And I didn't know it was wrong. Like as a kid, I was just like, what is the problem? (laughs) Why isn't this working? And I remember my dance teacher being like, put your butt on the ground, like get your butt on the ground, like thinking I was just being like a seven-year-old, like being lazy or whatever, and I couldn't do it. And eventually she realized like, oh, something might be wrong here. And I, that was kind of where the whole thing started. My knees swelled up really big when I was a kid. And, uh, through going to a couple doctors, they were like, you have juvenile arthritis. As a kid, I really had no idea 
what the implications of that were um, or kind of what they could be. I know that in this space, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people I run into are diagnosed as adults mm-hmm. or they spend a long time trying to find a diagnosis. And mine has kind of always been a constant companion and I can't really remember what it was like before. Um, so I feel like that gives me, it's a drawback, but it also can be an advantage because like, I really can't, I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, oh, well, when I used to feel like this, I could do more. Or like when I used to be able to do this, or like when I didn't need 12 hours of sleep at night, like this is just the way it is for me. So I feel like I'm able to accept it more than maybe someone who got like diagnosed as an adult or started dealing with that stuff as an adult. Um, But it helps me serve my clients who have chronic illnesses because a huge cornerstone of my coaching is accepting our limitations is like the gateway to, you know, building the businesses and the creative lives and the personal lives that we want, but we have to start there. Um, So there's like, (laughs) eight tangents already you know how it is you start talking about one thing and then you know you inevitably go down eight more paths but that's i mean that was really fast um (laughs) there's there's more (laughs) the cliff notes Uh, version (laughs) yeah well yeah it is interesting that i i guess everyone i speak to about chronic illness for the most part talks about that that moment that everything changed Mm -hmm. and then you and then when, when you started feeling really abnormal and then when you get the diagnosis and all these other un- unfortunate epiphanies that tend to happen. <laughs> I like good verbiage for that. A positive word. Uh, it's not what I was going for. Shockers. <laughs> um, but yeah, you were quite young. Can you actually, mm-hmm. do you mind talking about that experience a little bit more? No, like, no, not at all. When what, was, what was the last thing you said? what it was like given how young you were like put us back in the your you, what did you say seven years old yeah it was like 96 yeah yeah <laughs> yeah back in the day um it was you, you know I have some more empathy for my like my mom and my family now because I think emotionally it was way harder on them than it was on me at that age because I like I just was like oh we're going to these doctor's appointments like why did my knees look like volleyballs this is weird like <laughs> uh it's like really naive uh which of course I was you know I didn't understand what was going on um I it, I really have to kind of think through this because it's been so long um my, my diagnosis happened pretty fast. I do remember that. There really wasn't a lot of time searching. Um, they put me on this drug called Vioxx, which got taken off the market for causing people heart failure. Oh, great. <laughs> Dodge that bullet. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know you're a spoony survivor when you've been on a medication that's killed people and made it. Oh, <laughs> like, this, I probably shouldn't be joking about this, but you know, we all have like the darkest sense of humor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I do remember. So I was lucky enough to find, um, I think it's like a pediatric rheumatologist. I think that's what mm-hmm. they're called, uh, who was smart enough to really encourage me to keep dancing competitively. 
while I was in treatment and trying to get my symptoms under control. And, you know, as a kid, like that was the normal thing for me was to be that active and was to be working that hard physically. You know, something that I remember now my doctor saying is like, if I, I was dancing since I was like four pretty seriously and I was seven or eight at the time, she's like, if she hadn't been dancing that much already, you know, that could have delayed the showing up that could have really saved me um, from a lot of joint damage. And so at her recommendation, like I kept dancing, I remember dealing with a little bit of bullying from some of the other girls uh, when we would like go to competitions. Like my dance teacher let me keep dancing, right? But I couldn't do everything. And the stakes are high, but she let me keep going. She would modify some stuff. Um, but I was lucky enough to like keep going and just kind of pretend like everything was normal. I eventually, I don't remember a long period of time where I was in a flare. I remember like getting on medication that worked really well pretty fast and was pretty much able to continue on as if nothing was wrong. I just took a lot of medications <laughs> and it worked. You know, I did deal with some, some pain and joint instability that I didn't really have before. Like I would tweak a knee or like mess up an ankle and, you know, injuries on injuries. I know, you know all about that life. Um, but I, I kept dancing and even now, because I kept doing that, like my joints stayed strong. I was able to stay healthy, which like exercising when you have a chronic illness that causes you physical pain can be the hardest thing. Yeah. Um, so dance is a huge part of my story. And uh, I actually, I, so I went to school. I'm trying to <laughs> proceed with the story here. Uh, I was mostly in remission from when I was like 11 to like 18 or 19. Hmm. I was pretty much like was able to just go on as if there were no issues. I was unmedicated for like five of those years and wow. things were really good. A lot of kids who have RA uh, don't carry it into adulthood. And I was not so lucky. When I turned 19, I went away to college intending on studying dance and fine arts and just had this really important moment of being honest with myself about like just everything that my body had already been through and dance is usually such a short career performance wise anyways I really had to make an important choice and I decided to go another direction and a few months after that I had the worst flare of my entire life isn't that yeah your eyes just got really big I feel like we need to tell people that yeah well, yeah. <laughs> yeah well I just I I mean I think we talked about this when we met that story interestingly resonates with me so much and is also in ways the opposite of my story because I have hypermobility syndrome which is kind of like the opposite yeah so <laughs> dance caused my or it was a huge contributing factor to my fibro and hypermobility syndrome and my pediatric rheumatologist told me to stop dancing and I told Ugh. him to stop being a doctor <laughs> yes <laughs> I was pissed and I did yeah. obviously but then mm -hmm. you know Getting to college, same thing. I was a dance, Sarah Lawrence is a very bizarre school, so I'll just say I was a dance minor. <laughs> it's all good. They, don't, they don't really have majors and minors. It's very alternative. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was 
I had to throw in the towel and be like, this just is not in the cards for my body. Yeah. That's, we have so many things in common. <laughs> yeah. And then fibro got worse. There, like everything got worse. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like I, chicken or egg, right? Yeah. I have no freaking clue. No idea. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, uh, yeah. I was diagnosed with fibro like right after I kind of pulled the plug on dance. Mm. Mm-hmm. Also, while I was studying neuro psychoneuroimmunology, which translates to the study of stress on the body, so it all just kind of happened and made sense. And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, this oh. sucks." <laughs> oh, but as but as someone said to me earlier today, like part of my brain threw a party when I got a diagnosis, right? Because I was undiagnosed for ten years. Yep. You know, I don't want to. It's a I guess you could see it as a blessing or a curse that you were younger. I, I don't know if it's really even fair to put it in a category. It's just different. It's <laughs> it just, just different. is what it is. It yeah. is what it is, right? Yeah. yeah. There's pros and cons to whenever it happens for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I. It is nice to hear, though, that um, your teenage years weren't with, because teenage years are just so hard. <laughs> anyway yep <laughs> and that does it doesn't seem like that was a big part of your struggles as a as a teenager no I um I pretty much like so this is something I'll get into a little bit on here but I wouldn't have considered myself having a chronic illness like I I was pretty much able to like just neatly put it in a box and like set it aside for my identity <laughs> and just like put it over here <laughs> Because I wasn't really having issues. And then um, well, when I, get to, I got, got to college, I was going to study dance. And I just, I knew in my gut, like, this just isn't a viable choice. I need to do something else. And had that flare, which still, knock on wood, was the worst I've ever had. The worst. Uh, like, my hands blew up. I couldn't drive. I could barely open doorknobs. And just, like, continued on super high achieving like nothing was wrong four years. Um, I know there's somebody out there listening that's like, oh my God, that's me. (laughs) 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 So uh, we should talk. But I feel like, so even though I got diagnosed as a kid, I really didn't have to do the work of like admitting that there was a long-term problem until I got into adulthood. Because like most of my teen years, I was pretty much fine. I was, for all intents and purposes, normal, whatever that means, and <laughs> right, normal, whatever that means. Um, and I had this terrible flare, and I went through a few years of trying to find a medication that would control my symptoms and failing on all of these different biologics, and the whole time, really just doubling down on being a high achiever and this kind of spiraled into almost a decade of me noticing that there were problems with my body, you know, realizing that it was having a significant impact on me and my ability to do things. And then instead of, uh, you know, embracing that in any shape or form, turning around and doing things twice as fast or um, making things twice as difficult or signing up for two times as many things, I was fighting with the truth. And eventually, you know, I went to school, I got my master's degree, and I ended up being an adjunct communication professor, which I still do 
I spent about seven, eight years doing that almost full time and was teaching like a totally ridiculous amount of classes, like eight, nine a semester. If anyone out there is, has been an adjunct or knows somebody like that's just not, no healthy person should be doing that for any reason. (laughs) And there were a few years where I would do all of those classes, burn out, have a physical reaction. I would flare, I would get super sick. I mean, you know, like you have an autoimmune disease, like it's not just my physical joints, like it affects my ability to like be sick or heal from an infection. So if I get any kind of sick, it could turn into this massive disaster, which it did like annually for a number of years. And I had this final burnout almost two years ago where I, it was so bad and I had missed so much school because I had been so sick and flaring so bad. And I was just like, okay, like you win. I knew I had to change directions. I physically could not continue the way that I was doing things. And that's where my business started. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up here. But make no mistake that even though I had this my whole life and I've kind of had this as a constant companion, it really took me until about a couple of years ago and things getting really terrible before I was like, I have to let this be part of my decision-making process. Yeah. I was not happy about it. It sounds like you you did actually have the experience I was mentioning that you didn't have. So I thought, you know, it's really all good. Like, oh, you know, discovering it when you're an adult. No, it seems like you, you know, you had episode two. (laughs) Episode two. (laughs) In the trilogy. I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm just excited for Star Wars to come out next week. I know. That's exactly where my brain went to. That's funny. I don't know anything about Star Wars, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know how many Star Wars fans are going to kill me for saying this, but I only watched it. I only watched the films right before the first movie of this trilogy came out. <laughs> but I loved them. I was like, so I'm friends with all the nerds. And I, and I was like, okay, I'm watching them. And I, I was worried, what if I don't like them? I'm going to mm-hmm. lose my husband. He's not going to watch anymore. <laughs> You like them? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did a lot. So, um, like, okay, thank God. Maybe with some of the pressure, I don't know, but these are great. These are great. I also love Adam Driver. I'm a fan. I don't know who that is. Oh, he's the Kylo Ren dude. The, the new Darth Vader, basically. Okay, thank you. That's, <laughs> I'm going to need you to really break this down for me. All good. All good. Star Wars. I I can't believe I'm talking about Star Wars right now. (laughs) Baby Yoda's pretty cute, though. Oh my god, Baby Yoda's the best. (laughs) Did you see the meme of this this guy's cat that looks like Baby Yoda? He's like behind a blanket and his ears are down. It's real good. You should put it in the show notes. I will. Baby Yoda, everybody. Baby Yoda cat. Yeah. And if you don't know why we're talking about Baby Yoda... Just, just Google Baby Yoda and you'll, you'll understand. Yeah. Because even <laughs> if you don't like Star Wars, he's so freaking cute. <laughs> For sure. Doesn't matter what you feel. The water. Oh, I have to cough. <coughs> okay, we're back. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've, we've now taken a journey up to your career and I really would love for you to share with everyone what it is that you do. What is, 
you know, chronic illness coach mean, or is that <laughs> sure. even the exact title you give yourself? It's, it's a little more long-winded than that, unsurprisingly. <laughs> uh, so, and I realized I, up until now in the episode, like people have no idea what I do. So I oh, am, worry, I give an intro. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> We'd get to it eventually. Yeah. I am a life and business coach for chronically ill creatives and entrepreneurs like myself. I love that. Even if it is long, it is good. Yeah, it's, good. it's right. It's perfect. Uh, most people like in the IRL <laughs> have no idea what that means. When, and then I have to launch into this big explanation. But if it's for you, you know, <laughs> when I say that. Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what I, what I don't do is um, I'm not a health coach. I don't help people try and fix their chronic illnesses. That's a whole other thing and there are coaches for that. I'm sure they're wonderful. Go find one. But what I mainly focus on is finding creative entrepreneurial spoonies like myself who are either at that point of like I was of realizing that things need to change and there's a problem and they're trying to navigate that change of, you know, I'm admitting or my body is making me admit that like I have to do work differently. I have to do life differently. I have to reconsider who it is that I think I am. And that's the process that I help people through was the process that I went through when I started my business. And a lot of, I would say most of my clients have businesses or, and are looking to scale them in a way that's really good for their health and they can still keep their needs front and center without burning out which is really can be tough to do in the entrepreneurial space, particularly if you're highly motivated, which everybody I talk to in this space is so such a high achiever. Yes. <laughs> Again, chicken or egg thing. I don't know, but, and then we're just like endlessly frustrated by these health limitations that we have. Yeah. I actually was just interviewing um, Lauren Friedman of the Uninvisible podcast. And she said that literally everyone she's met that she's interviewed, um, is a type A personality like <laughs> yeah. exclusively. I definitely am. I, yeah. I, there's something, I think if there's something to do with how we embody stress and mm. like amongst other things, uh, how it allows us to develop or promotes, I'm not using a good word here, developing You're good. Uh, our illness. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, so that makes sense. Almost all of us are multi-passionate. That's another thing. Hmm. Like I do a lot of different stuff. I have a lot of different interests and it's like, we're the kind of people that want to go out and change the world. And then our bodies are like, okay, we're going to give you like 40% of the energy that everybody else has. Um, but like that, that's what I had to figure out. And that's what I help my clients do is really make a lot of important mindset shifts around productivity, what success looks like, what it needs to look like. Um, most of us deal with limited energy. I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah. That's something almost yeah. across the board, uh, regardless of what you have, everyone is dealing with in the space. And so a big part of what I do with my clients is work on the shifts we need to make to get some of that energy back. And it's not from like a like diet, exercise, health, sleep approach. It's from a mindset approach. So one thing that I see that's really common that I did for a long time is 
we spend so much, I want to call it psychic energy, but it's not psychic energy. I am not a psychic. I, yeah, <laughs> like we spend so much mental energy mm-hmm. fighting ourselves and fighting what our bodies are telling us needs to be the case. So like I was, you know, doubling down on how hard I was working. When my body told me I needed to rest, I signed up for more stuff because I didn't want that to be true. Um, you know, I told myself like, you know, the coaching industry can tell us so much of the time. If I'm not getting up at 5 a.m. and I'm not, you know, just eating the frog and smashing all my to-do lists every day, you know, I can't be successful. And we spend so much mental energy trying to fit square peg into round hole and trying to make ourselves this kind of version of success that we've been told is the way. And the good news is that's not, that's not the only way. I mean, you know that (laughs) you're doing it. Um, It doesn't have to look that way, but we do have to get really honest with ourselves about what we really need to be successful long-term without hating our lives. (laughs) and being in a constant flare. And also, you know, once we admit those things and we're able to move through that honestly, which like usually there's some grief work involved in this. This is not, you know, this is heavy lifting. But on the other side of that is all of the possibility that we do have. Once you can kind of admit all the stuff that you can't do and you can't have, like when I did that, I was able to see finally all the ways I could be successful you know, all the ways that, you know, I could work around my exhaustive, extensive sleep schedule, (laughs) Um, all the ways that I could stop comparing myself to everyone who is healthy or able-bodied or not, and find a way that works for me right now. Um, I'm getting really excited on my soapbox when I talk about this. I'm loving this. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I I very much understand um, as, 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 one of the people that you speak to, um, it's, I'm, I'm like going over in my mind all the ways in which I've had to accommodate, maybe ways in which I still need to accommodate. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, actually, would you, could you share with us maybe some stories of people you've worked with? Sure. One thing I see a lot in this space is something that I went through at the very beginning of this like transformation that so many of us resist, there's this process where we wouldn't even consider ourselves to be chronically ill. Like if somebody had asked me that three years ago, I'd have been like, no, like, that's not me. (laughs) Which is like, just like (laughs) textbook denial, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, it is. That's definitely you. Um, I think it starts with like admitting that we belong in this space and we belong in this category and taking ownership of that. I think so many of us get such a backlash from people in our lives or people like in traditional jobs or in our families even about like we're making it up or we're being like that girl. You know, you know what I mean? Everybody oh. listening to this knows what I mean. Uh, who needs all the things and has all the requests and um, you know, is making it up. I had a client with, Uh, who is dealing with really severe chronic migraines for a long time, like decades. And um, kind of prior to us working together, she had just come to this conclusion of like, this is, this is something that I need. Like, this is something that I need to integrate into my life. 
and she's a super high achiever, but also uh, works in like a traditional job, but has creative outlets too, and is multi-passionate. And I remember when, you know, we started working together, she was really hesitant to take on the label of like, I'm someone with a chronic illness or I'm a spoonie, you know, I'm someone with chronic migraines and kind of through that process, which this was like only one branch, I guess that's a good, it's a branch, one branch of things like we worked on together. Cause it's also interrelated, but her kind of taking ownership of like, this is real, this is my truth. And I'm going to express that regardless of how comfortable it is for anybody else. Like that's where the magic starts. And once you start, can I say bad words on this podcast? Oh yeah. Fuck it up. <laughs> fuck it up. Let's fuck it up. Good. I've been holding it in for like 20 minutes now. Um, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Shit. <laughs> um, oh. Uh, what, what did she say? Um, oh, but like once you stop taking other people's shit and once you lean into this, like this thing of like, I don't care if anybody understands what's going on with me or not. Like, this is my truth and I don't care if you like it. Once you open that door, it feels so good <laughs> that you start doing it in every area of your life. And I know this is relevant for people who aren't chronically ill too. I think all of us, like healthy or not, traditionally have these moments, these invitations in life to stop being people pleasers, um, you know, kind of buck against all of this training about what it means to be a woman, um, you know, what it means to claim what we want and to be honest about the things we want and have big dreams and step into that speak our minds. Um, it's that same kind of process with chronic illness, but I think we have kind of a leg up in that we have to deal with that. Um, like I could just go on and on about all the things that we're better at because we're chronically ill. So for instance, one is like persistence. Mm -hmm. uh, think of the times that you have spent hours and hours on the phone with doctor's offices, with insurance companies, with trying to get a drug approved, with, you know, dealing with a doctor who won't listen to you. We have to learn how to assert ourselves. We don't have another choice. Um, and that can translate into really awesome stuff because when we start applying that attitude to like dealing with family and friends and doctors, we find our voice and we find our confidence and we become willing to be misunderstood which I think is mm. like one of my favorite things right now is the willingness to be misunderstood. Ooh, that is, that hits home for me because it's actually one of my biggest pet peeves is being misunderstood. Mm. <laughs> the I'm hard snapping one. for you on that one. Snaps. See, you're, you're hitting it. You are, I am guinea pigging. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, yeah, so a big one. <laughs> Well, we all, like as human beings, we want to be understood. You know, we don't want people to, you know, like you could say, well, I don't care what anybody else thinks. But like we all do. We're social beings. We need a pack. <laughs> we need some people to approve of us a little if we want social connections. But so many of us and so many people I meet in this space, like we're just not the kind of people that you can fit neatly into a box. 
and it's not just about our health. It's about our desires and our interests and our motivations. And once you kind of get into this space of like, like the chronic illness can be the way in of being the kind of person that is willing to be misunderstood and therefore free to do whatever the fuck they please. Um, because we start presenting this stuff to people of like, oh, I have this chronic illness. This is what it means. You know, and we might get a good response, but we might get stuff like, are you better yet? Have you tried yoga? But I should trigger warning before I do this. Have you tried turmeric? Like, <laughs> y'all need to stop with the turmeric. We all know about it. <laughs> pressuring us. Which I take it, it's fine. It's great, but like, it hasn't fixed anything. Uh, anyways, turmeric <laughs> rant end. But like, we have an opportunity to present something to people that is messy and not easy to understand and sometimes make other people uncomfortable. So when people respond with things like, um, oh, you'll get better, or they try to fix it, people are usually meaning well, but are doing it out of being uncomfortable with the fact that they can't help you. Yeah. And, but once you kind of see that you can survive that reaction and nothing bad happens to you other than maybe an eye roll and some frustration, <laughs> that's just a constant, um, you know, you can step back and say, what other areas of my life am I showing people a convenient side of me? And what would happen if I started, you know, giving them the whole truth and letting them wrestle with it? Um, we're getting so like deep and philosophical here. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's me or the people I bring on or a combo, but that tends to happen. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> that, that definitely tends to happen. Um, I'm all for it. Yeah. All like we, it. we could talk about ad strategy and that, you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. That is, you know, super important. And it's something I help my clients with and guide them through like when they're building and scaling their businesses but everything comes back to mindset and like these core beliefs that we have about, you know, how is it okay for me to be in the world as a woman, as a human, um, uh, for me, as someone who's part of the LGBTQ community, um, someone who it has a chronic illness, uh, you know, being misunderstood is the gateway and you're starting to talk honestly about your chronic illness can be the way into you being that person who does what they want to do and you know all of a sudden a couple years later you're like how did I get here nobody understands what I'm doing but I'm happy <laughs> yeah I definitely uh identify with that as well I'm like one of my three and a half years into Wellacopia and the, oh the first year to two years <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah what do you do what do you have uh, enjoy just like and you know they'll smile politely and be like that's great cool how's cool. your internet thing i get that yeah yeah mm, it's awkward it's now I, I don't remember the last time i ever, i got any kind of response like that so i hopefully i can put it mostly behind me now. once like it starts working though and like it goes well people then they're they're all of a sudden they're like that's so cool like look at you doing this thing yes it wasn't easy i mean it's not easy for any entrepreneur to get started no. with anything Nope. <laughs> um, but especially when it's tied like ours is to this um, sort of underground topic that people don't <laughs> ask about, people don't understand. Yeah. And then you're putting some sort of an idea, this entrepreneurial, um, uh, I mean, at the beginning, it can seem very vague as mm -hmm. well, right? Like it, 
it, people just get confused and uncomfortable and they love yep. you. Yeah. Or sometimes they, they want to love you by giving critique, but they don't know the critique to give you. <laughs> I'm all, I'm all for critique. I love feedback, right? Dancer, ballet dancer. Oh, you we're so me. used to that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, give me critique. It means you give a shit about me. So I'm, yeah. I love it. But I, the only time I didn't like this actually goes with being misunderstood is mm. when it just was not relative to what I was talking about or, or what I do at all. It's like, oh, you, you really don't get what's up. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, but thanks. Um, yeah, the misunderstood thing is, is interesting because for me at least, um, everyone does care about what people think to an extent. I'm sure. happy to say that I don't, in the general sense, it's like, if you don't like me, that's cool. Mm. Being misunderstood and not liked, I find very different. Mm. People don't like me, that's cool. I like myself. So I'm, I'm like comfortable with myself. So if you don't like me, I'm not your cup of tea, cool. But if you have a misconception of who I am and what I care about and what I do, then I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that's not it. I must have done a really poor job at explaining myself or yeah, off wrong because... Yeah, it's yeah, that's my thing. I um I love that we're getting into this because it just it affects every area of life. And so I'm just thinking of a couple stories and I guess I'm gonna go ahead and just dive into somewhat vulnerable territory here because here we're diving. Sploosh. Um <laughs> like all I do is be vulnerable in this business. <laughs> It's exhausting sometimes. I was going to say, I wanted to know just quickly your def see if your definition aligns with mine coach mm. versus consultant. Yes. Yeah. So you were saying you go down to like, what is the mindset? I think whether it is a health coach, a career coach, this, like whatever kind of coach, to me, the word coach means, all right, we're going to work on this up here because mm. your brain and your mindset because everything else is, um, um, like hard skills really yeah you can't apply them without the soft yeah well and the problem is never really about fucking facebook ads it's just not ever the problem <laughs> you know what i like sometimes it is i guess but it's never the real problem you right. know like right. i'm interested in the real problem um which sometimes <laughs> is annoying to my clients uh but that just means i'm doing my job right yeah <laughs> but yeah so my definition coach versus consultant I guess that's interesting you say that because I the difference for me I view it a little bit differently so a coach to me a consultant is gonna give you specific recommendations on what to do mm -hmm. and a consultant is going to maybe even tell you what to do I think while there are times for a coach that giving recommendations and strongly encouraging action is appropriate. A coach is about guidance. Like at the end of the day, I don't, I don't want my um, coaches. What the hell? Clients. <laughs> what is clients? Um, I don't want my clients to feel like they need to talk to me to make good decisions. I want to help them foster their own inner compass and get them to trust that, you know, self-trust is a huge thing that's like at the core of everything too. Like how much do you trust yourself to navigate things? Um, so I think that's the biggest difference is like a consultant is really going to direct you. A coach is going to ask you the right questions and 
so you can build sort of like a framework to deal with whatever issues you have on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coach life. <laughs> that is a good distinction. Thank you. You're welcome. I like that you said self-trust. I just wrote that down and underlined it. Sometimes they're just words that stick out to me. And I'm like, I need to put this on paper. For what purpose? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm that kind of note taker too. My notes make no snapshot sense. Snapshot that word. Um, yep. Because it seems obvious, yet I think so few of us actually trust ourselves. And that can be with like bad things. I'm doing finger quotes, bad things or good things, right? Um fear of success, fear of failure, a lot of that's about self-trust, you know, and I, this is one of the catch 22 things. It's going to sound so coachy of me, but it's so true. I really believe the only way to foster more self-trust is to start by extending it unconditionally to ourselves. Mm. Like the only way into trusting ourselves more is to just start doing it. (laughs) And with little things, with big things, it's not that we're not going to need to make adjustments. I hate saying like not going to make a mistake because it's all relative, right? Like I've made mistakes, air quotes again, that have led to the most perfect things. So were they mistakes? Like I kind of don't think that we can make mistakes when it comes to these kinds of decisions. And, but that self-trust is so important. Like my chronic illness, kind of this journey into my business wasn't just about like my work and my health, this is like the vulnerable territory, but like, I also went through a divorce around that same time. Um, and that was a huge part of this like personal revolution that I was going through around trusting myself, even though I couldn't see like how things were going to work out. You know, I had to completely rehaul like every area of my life. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I'm sure somebody listening has where you're, you're in this part of your life and you look around and it's like, literally everything's wrong. Yeah. None of this is going to (laughs) work. Not my job, not this marriage, not my health, (laughs) not my car, like none of it. (laughs) It's moments like that where, where if I'm ever in it or, or I know someone who is, I, I try to encourage the identif- the identity of um, fear, but the on the other, like the flip side of it being excitement and opportunity. Because yep. there's such intense moments, right? They're so low and, and can be so high. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I'm a very emotional person, but. No, I'm <laughs> the same. Everything's black yeah. and white in my head. And I have to work through to see great things. So yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm an empath. And when you were just saying that, I'm like putting myself in that situation. I haven't mm. been divorced, but like I know sure. a lot of, a lot of people who have, I know a lot of, about it. I'm actually reading a book right now. She's a 30 year old woman talking about going through divorce. And <laughs> is it me? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually called turning 30 and I'm turning 30 soon. And so I oh, am 30. I can't believe I didn't read this book yet. I'm going to be 31 in a few months. I need to read oh, it. It's not in front of me. Oh, no, it's called The 30 List. And it's also by someone named Eva. And she's British. And I'm half British. So it's weird things in common. Nice. But it opens up with her talking about, like, walking down the aisle and then the divorce happening. Mm. And I'm just in it with her. And yep. imagining, and I actually, it really bothered me that 
I was thinking things about what I would do in that scenario. And then like a line later, she talks about doing those things and it not working. Like, ah, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, well, I hope I'm divorced. <laughs> but I yeah. But it doesn't do not, have to be Zero out of 10, do not recommend. <laughs> do not recommend getting divorced. Be sure about who the fuck you're marrying. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, sorry. I'm, actually, I'm really sorry for anyone who's getting divorced who has been divorced because that, I. Sometimes you need to get divorced. Sometimes you really need to get divorced. I know people, yeah. I'm really glad they got divorced. Um, yeah. But anyway, that aside, it's just another example of your life, as you said, going to shambles or you just mm-hmm. realize it should. Uh, yeah. You move forward and you're at that serious, the, the crossroads. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Literally almost everything about my life is different than it was three years ago. That's cool. Who I'm with, where I live, what I drive, what I do. It's all different. Even when you drive. Even when I drive, yeah. I finally got an upgrade. Thank God. I don't I wonder if that's true of me at any point in time. I guess. I mean, pretty different like eight years ago. It was not a person I wanted to be. Right. Glad that a lot of that person is not who I am today. Eh, what you gonna do? <laughs> I don't <laughs> regret. Gonna any, do? I really don't regret anything I've done, though. And like you say, mistakes. I don't know. Are there things that maybe I didn't wish go as bad as they did? Sure, but sure, sure like would like to maybe not hurt some people on the way if that exactly. happened. Um, but it all led to where I am today. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the thing. That's the thing. That's the thing about life. <laughs> to where you are today. Yeah. yeah. You um did you want to share a story about a oh. time? I felt like you were I, I took I feel like I kind that. of did. Were you, were you talking about like a specific thing that mm. happened with a client? Oh, you know what I would like to know? The Ooh. difference between clients who have chronic illnesses and are doing entrepreneurial efforts and the clients who have chronic illnesses are, are doing businesses around chronic illness. So someone oh. like you or like me, someone whose illness is actually about chronic illness. Do you have any clients like that? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> I'm like, do I? <laughs> I feel like it would be actually a little different. Maybe. Because identity, right? I mean, I talk mm. about this a lot. So yeah. I am not my chronic illness, but I'm identifying as someone who does because I'm identifying as someone who's part of the community that I cater to. Yep. Yeah. A little complex there. I don't. So I have some people who talking about their chronic illness is like part of their online presence, but I think I'm like, am I forgetting anybody that I've had? Um, I don't think anybody has like a chronic illness facing business, but I definitely have some people who are considering um, like changing things or rearranging things to go more of that route. It definitely is, you know, it is different. I, I will say that it's definitely different. Like I had a food blog I sold Mary Kay. I sold pure romance. <laughs> if anybody out there knows what that is. Can I say dildo on your podcast? Because I just did. Oh, is it? It's sex toys. Yeah. 
I love these. And can I say dildo on your podcast? Because it's good. <laughs> Quote of the show. <laughs> oh yeah, that's going up. <laughs> yeah, that's happening. <laughs> Put that in the clip. Um, <laughs> my life. Uh, but I, I love you even more for knowing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so I've done a lot of other entrepreneurial stuff and like the food blog was my last like thing before I got into the specific kind of coaching. Well, not the last thing I have taught mostly public speaking at the college level for the past eight years. So mm -hmm. I was going to do some speaking coaching. And for me, I knew that I was getting close to the thing that I really needed to be doing, but didn't want to actually go there because I was scared <laughs> of what that would require of me, the level of honesty that that would require of me. It, being this kind of a coach and talking about this so publicly is probably the best way to keep myself accountable to the stuff that I tell my clients to do all the time. Like take care of yourself, trust yourself, be willing to be misunderstood. Like I can't go out here and say that and then not hold myself to that same standard, but I'm still a human having the same experience as everybody else. Yeah. And the challenges are just as real. Do you have a, a coach? Of I, yeah, I have, I've had a number of different coaches. Um, at this point, I'm kind of, I'm in between coaches, if you will. Um, I think, you know, there's definitely some people out there that are like, you always need to be working with a coach. And I just don't, I don't think that's true. I think sometimes you do. And sometimes you just don't. Yeah. I actually um, like taking, so I have a, a coach um, and she's not like a, any, she's a life coach, I guess. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> not, no particular subsect. I, I guess we just use my business as like um, sort of a medium to get to the other, the deep stuff, right? The real yeah, stuff, yeah. The real stuff. <laughs> um, and I remember I did take a break from her for a little while just because I, I literally said to her, I love you. I actually want to walk on my own for a while to yeah. see how that goes because she's such a phenomenal support system for me. Um, I actually was really upset by the fact that I felt like I needed to, to go back to her so soon. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I mean, having, so yeah, like you don't always need to have one. Um, and everyone's different, right? Yeah. Is it like, I haven't seen a therapist now for a while and I would like to see a therapist and now, now. Sure. <laughs> yeah. that's always me with therapy. I'm like, I'm good. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but coaching and therapy. There's a, there are def definitely overlaps because therapy and coaching, uh, they both want you to get to the answer yourself, which mm -hmm. I love. Yeah. Um, but there, there are definitely differences. And now I'm like, okay, I want a coach and a therapist. I'm going to spoil myself. My brain needs it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think sometimes too, I just need a break from all that personal development. It's so, a lot sometimes. <laughs> a lot. Anyone who's listening to any of my episodes probably gets a little emotionally exhausted. <laughs> like, oh yeah. God. <laughs> think about how my deepest, darkest, like voice is doing and saying and reacting and oh uh, yeah. yeah it's scary but awesome at the same time yeah tap into it tune in just like where I naturally go like that's what I want to talk about as a human being and to me that's the only stuff that matters like yeah 
the rest is just smoke and mirrors. <laughs> like, let's just talk about the real thing. But not everybody out there wants to have these conversations. <laughs> hey, you know, if we start to have more of them, especially yeah. publicly, then maybe uh, it's going to start to be the norm, just like anything. People exactly. thought yoga was real weird, like 30 <laughs> years ago. Like, oh, yoga. wow, he's doing yoga. And now, like, I was just going to say the president does. I bet he doesn't. <laughs> He could use some yoga. He that's all I'm going to say. I, <laughs> I'm going to just lock it up. <laughs> Every podcast I go on, I end up dissing Donald Trump somehow. Oh, that's totally It cool. happens. If you ever heard of Monica and I, like, it's good. I try to step away from the political. Yeah. Um, just because I try to do that. But I think yeah. it's pretty obvious how I feel. Yeah. Same. <laughs> good. Glad I got that out of the way. <laughs> I'm actually... I'll, I'll tell you, I'm from New York City, right? And mm -hmm. every time I meet someone outside New York City, because I don't know really how other people feel, I'm always I, like, there's, there's trepidation there. Mm -hmm. Somehow I try to find a way, like, how do you feel about things? Yeah. <laughs> without, without actually talking about it. But anyway, yoga was weird. Yeah. <laughs> yoga was weird. Yoga was weird. And so, and self-development is becoming less weird. Coaching is becoming more common. Yeah. I'm so thankful for that, really. Same. I mean, it's, it's changed my life. And I'm so glad that you've decided to make your purpose in life, your, your career. I mean, it really is more your purpose in life than yeah. your career. I know it's bigger than that. Mm -hmm. um, to not only coach people, but to, to coach people who have so much potential and are not sure that they can do it. Uh, yeah. I, I totally, totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I feel like this is a perfect segue into like wrapping up the thing we were talking about a few minutes ago about, oh no, about, <sighs> We were, we were talking about, I wish someone from the audience accepted this is pre-recorded could be like, you were talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. I don't know. I love these little moments. It's so good. It's this so is good. so accurate. Um, Maybe you what, what? No, that's way too far back. Now I'm never going to make it back again. <laughs> shit um we're talking about it's not just my business it's my purpose helping people through that transition doing it in your own way oh my god it's gone dude <laughs> it's like when you know when a thought goes you can almost see it slipping away like come it's, back goodbye back. <laughs> i know you needed this <laughs> i need you see you in 90 minutes when you're in the shower and can do nothing about it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you know what? I think that might be a good note to end on. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. It's all good. We're human, and we need to love ourselves for all our human qualities, including mm. the ones that come off as flaws. But yeah. it's all good. What makes us human? It is. I, I think my biggest, like, message to all my Spoonie peeps out there who are resonating with this is, like, 
it is so possible to still live the kind of life that you had imagined for yourself, but the way that we get there and how that's going to look specifically may need to change and it may need to change drastically, but you're, you're still the person who you were. Like, I think we so often beat ourselves up about if I could just be like I used to be, right? If I could just be this version of myself again, I wouldn't have any problems. But like this version of you, there's so much potential wisdom. There's so much potential to really have to face like what it is you want to do with your life and what your purpose is and get serious about that. It's so much better on the other side of admitting what's true about you now and being willing to like love yourself where you are today, even if it's messy. And I promise you it's possible. It just, there's a set of tools and kind of a set of journeys and passageways that you might need to go through to get there. But it's so possible, you know, you don't have to give up on everything that you thought you wanted before this happened, but it does need to look probably a little bit different. And there's also such a huge community of us out here who understand you and know intimately what you're going through and are making it work. So for all the pieces of evidence you see around you of how, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, achieve this or be this kind of person or show up in this way for your family or your kids, please do yourself a favor and go find other evidence of the contrary. <laughs> you know, listen to this podcast, listen to other podcasts of people who have chronic illnesses, follow us online, build your own community of people who do understand who you are and are going to give you evidence day in and day out that you're so capable and you've totally got this. Thumbs up, baby. Yay. I love it all. Yay. Heart hands. <laughs> Heart and hands. Heart and thumbs up. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Yay. Bye, Dawn. Goodbye. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Invisible Not Broken podcast. 
I'm Eva, your new co-host and co-founder of Wellacopia, the matching platform for chronic illness patients and practitioners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, be kind, be gentle, be badass.